0: Chapter 13 of Eight Keys to Eden by Mark Clifton This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dale Grothman It was one day around noon. Jed Dawkins had come in early from his experimental field to get his dinner. Well, city folks would call it lunch, and so he'd be ready afterwards to talk with the colony committee. He'd eaten his lunch, all right. A good one there was never any scarcity of food on Eden always plenty and wide variety if anything a man ate too much and didn't have to work hard enough to get it that was the main thing that had been wrong with Eden right from the start man was ordained to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow and there's no reason to sweat for it on Eden He was lying on a hammock that was stretched out between two big trees in the front yard of his house. The house was set a little way off from the rest of the village, oh, maybe five hundred yards more or less. Not so far he couldn't be handy when he was needed by the colony, but still far enough to give a man some space. The domestic sound of rattling pots and pans came from the kitchen window, where his wife Martha was washing up after dinner. It was a drowsy, peaceful time. Honeybees they'd brought from Earth were buzzing the flowers Martha had planted all around a bird was singing up in the tree above him A man ought to be pretty content with a life like that. He remembered telling himself ought to be He felt like taking a nap But made himself keep awake because the committee was coming right over and he didn't want to wake up all groggy the way a man Does when he sleeps in the daytime? Can't afford to be groggy because the committee was all set to scrap out something that was splitting the colony right down the middle. He remembered looking out at the fields where the grains and vegetables were growing, thinking how easy it was to farm here plenty of rain, plenty of sun, no storms to flatten and ruin the crops, not even enough insect pests to worry a man. He looked out at the fenced pastures where the colony's community stock grazed the horses had eaten their fill and were ambling up from the drinking pond getting ready to take a siesta of their own in the shade of some trees at the corner of their pasture the cows were already lying down in a grove of trees and were sleepily chewing their cud the green grass around them was so tall he could barely see their heads and backs his house was on top of a little hill knoll, you might call it martha like himself had been raised in West Texas, where all you could see, as a city feller said, was miles and miles of miles and miles. She never could stand not being able to see a long way off, and she would picked out this spot herself. They could see all the valley and the sea, and some dim shapes of the islands in the distance. Right nice. Yes, it was all peaceful and tame. That was the main trouble in the colony. Too tame. Some of them got restless. They argued the five-year test was all right for most planets. You need every bit of it to prove that a man could make it there, or couldn't, or how much help he would need from Earth. Maybe for a while, maybe always. On Eden, you didn't need to prove anything. There wasn't anything to make a man feel like a man, proud to be one. Maybe that would be all right for ordinary folks, but for experimental colonists, it was a slow death, almost as bad as living on Earth. Sure, they'd made their complaints to Earth, half a dozen times or maybe more. They'd asked for an inspector to come out and see for himself, and see what it was doing to the colonists. Jed put it right up to EHQ that they were plumb ruining a prime batch of colonists with this easy living. A man had to stretch for himself once in a while if he expected to grow tall. Some of the colonists were so lazy they'd stop bitching and were even talking about maybe just staying on here after the experimental was over. Maybe getting a doctor to reverse the operation so they could have kids, which, of course, you couldn't have in an experimental colony. And that was bad. What with easy living and wanting kids, as was normal to most, experimental colonists weren't so plentiful that Earth could afford to lose any. Some of the colonists wanted to leave this, well, they called it a lotus land, whatever that was, right away, before everybody went under, got plum ruined. They were all for taking the escape ship and hightailing it back to Earth. Sure, they knew there'd be a stink, and they'd get a little black mark in somebody's book for not obeying orders to stick it out. But that was better than losing their trade, their desire to follow it. Maybe there'd be a penalty, and they'd be marooned to stay on Earth for a while. But they'd bet there was a hundred planets laying idle right now because there weren't enough experimentals to go around. They'd get a black mark, but after a while they'd get another job, too anyway living on earth couldn't be any worse for them than living here half of them wanted to stay here permanently the other half wanted to leave right away that was what the committee was going to decide today he'd done some checking around and it looked like they were going to vote to go he'd also checked with them who wanted to stay permanently and it looked like in a showdown they'd come along they were proud to be men too men and women Everybody would join he'd been pretty sure of it Even the dissenters who'd moved away across the Ridge That was the trouble with them. There hadn't been enough hardship to bind the community together People forgot how to be kind to one another and get along when there wasn't any hardship to share among themselves It would mean deserting the planet entirely Even though his sympathies were with the ones who wanted to go Jed felt there was something wrong real bad about deserting the planet still in all if they voted to go he couldn't stop them maybe earth would let the three generation colonists come on out without the total test period but maybe not maybe ehq would decide that eden was too hard to colonize because it was so easy maybe they'd abandon the planet entirely there'd be no more humans here and no more coming that was when he hit the ground with a solid thump his first thought the hammock had somehow twisted out from under him and he looked up at it resentfully the way a man blames something else for his own fault there wasn't any hammock at the same time he heard martha cry out he craned his neck quickly in the direction of the house there wasn't any house martha was standing there on bare ground And there wasn't a dead blame thing else. Not a stove, not a chair, a dish, nothing. And Martha didn't have a stitch of clothes on her. His first thought was that she ought to have more sense than to stand right out in the yard plumb naked. What was the matter with her, anyhow? He peered quickly down toward the village to see if anybody was looking up in this direction. The whole thing hit him like a blow on top of the head there wasn't any hammock there wasn't any house there wasn't any village he saw a whole passel of people squirming around down there where the village ought to be they were standing or crouching or lying around as if they'd fallen down and every one of those crazy galoots was plumb naked and so was he he'd just realized it it had all happened so quietly that the fool bird up in the tree was still singing hadn't missed a note funny how a thing like that stood out above all the rest still singing jed got up on his knees scrambled to his feet and dodged behind a tree fine lot of authority he'd have as village mayor if anybody saw him standing out in his front yard naked as a jaybird the reminder of his responsibility caused him to sweep his eyes beyond the sight of the village to where their spaceship should be in its hangar, always ready for instant escape if anything should go wrong—real wrong, that is. This ship wasn't there. The hangar wasn't there. Nothing. For a little bit he thought he must be looking in the wrong direction. He'd got turned around or something in the confusion because there was a grove of trees where the hangar ought to be. And it was the same grove they'd cleared away over two years ago. He recognized one of the trees because it had a peculiar shape, and he remembered feeding the trunk of that very tree into the power saw for lumber. It was twisted and gnarled, and Martha had asked him to save the wood for furniture because it was real pretty. That was the tree, there on the edge of the grove. He felt drunk, in a daze. He turned the other direction and looked out to where the experimental fields ought to be. They'd cleared the whole area of lumber and brush, because it was good, flat land. Only they hadn't, because that was virgin forest, too. Maybe he'd gone insane. He felt a flood of relief. Sure, that was it. He must have gone insane. That was all. Everything else was all right. The calves have got loose to the cows, and they're going to take all the milk, Jed. He turned around to look at Martha if he was crazy. So was she her eyes showed it Her words showed it at a time like this to be worried about the fool calves getting out It took all the comfort away from him. Her face was white her eyes were dazed. You got some dirt on your cheek Martha He heard himself saying and for Pete's sake woman put on some clothes the committee's coming over and you're running around like that He thought he had the solution then he'd fallen asleep in the hammock after all while he was waiting for the committee and he was dreaming of course he ought to have known all along this was just the way things happened in dreams even him and Martha running around naked he even chuckled to himself he must be a pretty moral kind of fellow after all because even in a dream it was his own wife that was next to him here naked not some other man's the fool things a man can dream might as well make the most of it he took her by the arms and she clung to him must have got the sheet tangled around his throat to choke him and he was dreaming it was her arms but there hadn't been any sheet in the hammock when he went to sleep and he wasn't dreaming what's happened Jed she whispered even her whisper was shaking with fear and her arms were wound around his neck so tight now that he could hardly breathe. "'Now, now, Martha,' he cautioned, "'don't you go getting hysterical.' "'What has happened?' she asked again. "'I don't know,' he said. They were both talking in low tones. "'It's some kind of a miracle,' she whispered. "'Now that's a woman's thinking for you,' he chided her fondly, joshing her a little. "'Nothing of the sort.' It's just plain, well, any scientist could tell you that. And then he stopped. He was pretty sure the frameworks of science, as he knew them, wouldn't be able to tell you. He guessed that while they stood there, clinging to one another, they both went a little nuts. It was sort of like drowning, he guessed. You'd have the feeling of sinking down and down, and there'd be nothing but blinding, swirling chaos all around you then you'd kind of come to for a minute and there'd be the trees the sky the farm animals the sea in the distance you'd look down toward the village and make a mental note almost absently that the people were getting to their feet now some of them clinging together the way you and martha were and then back down into the mental chaos you'd go again that went on several times he remembered before he'd begun to snap out of it a little but the funniest thing of all, Jed said, and looked at Cal quickly, penetratingly, I had the feeling all the time that we were being watched. Cal said nothing. You know, Jed explained, like catching an animal in a trap, then watching it to see what it'll do. Cal nodded without speaking. It was just another crazy thought, I guess, Jed said deprecatingly. Plum crazy but clearly he didn't believe it was end of chapter 13 of eight keys to eden by mark clifton read by dale growthman